The Christmas Thieves. Stave 2. Christmas Past. When Baltus awoke, it was so dark that looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He thought and thought and thought it over and over and over, and could make nothing of it. The more he thought, the more perplexed he was, and the more he endeavoured not to think, the more he thought. Marlowe's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Every time he resolved within himself, after mature inquiry, that it was all a dream, his mind flowed back again, like a strong spring released to its first position, and presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream or not? Baltus lay in this state until the clock tower chimed one bell. He clenched his entire body in anticipation, endeavouring to pierce the darkness with his gaze. It was at that point, when I saw his beady eyes brush past me, that I turned on my lights and drew the curtains of his bed. He recoiled in horror and shielded his face, peering through the cracks between his fingers until his eyes became somewhat accustomed to the brightness, at which point his hand dropped and his mouth hung agape. You. Before him, bathed in light that emanated from behind and around me, radiating from my skin, my head haloed in flame, like the business end of an enormous candle, stood a woman he recognized. It was the ancient female form I had worn for a lengthy age, but shed when I traveled from my post in the ruins at the heart of Camelot Forest to wander the land as a grey-blue pilgrim. In this body I adopted the name Old Meg, I had clad myself here in clothing of purest white to better sell the spectral imagery, and while he would equate the persona with the seemingly mortal woman he had encountered deep in the past, it was my intention to convince him that this was in fact her ghost. The only thing that was different about me was my stature, for you see, prior to the doorway opening, Old Meg had been a duat. Otherwise, all who came wandering to my door would have been immediately alarmed at this gigantic, unfamiliar human creature. Slowly, over the years since, this form had become taller, until the rumours nearly always spoke of some human beggar woman from London who hung around the sword night and day. Are you the spirit, madam, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. I kept my voice soft and gentle, singularly low as if instead of being close beside him, I was at a distance. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. I know you, though. You're that straggletag woman who resides in the woods, playing host to those who would pull the sword from its stone. I remember you well. It is thought, I said carefully, trying with all of my might not to blow it, that my appearance would be all you needed to cast your mind back. To the proudest years of my life, I am thankful then. Shall we begin? Let us depart, I said, extending my bony old hand, 
retracting my shield to allow him to grasp the appendage. I was trusting a man who may, by this point, have become unhinged, so this was with some trepidation, which I could not, even for a second, betray. His thick, bare fingers closed around mine, and I raised him from his bed. It was time. I hit his mind with a compound of powerful magics, extracting memory and crafting a world from them, augmenting all the details of this immensely familiar place to me. After all, it was my day-to-day -day home. To construct a complete theater around us, I replicated the hard, uneven, overgrown stonework underfoot, the smell of the air, the glowing motes of dust in the sunset, and Baltus gasped as he spied a pair of Duart striding into his chamber, even as it transformed around us. One was unmistakably Jacobite Marlow. Only now he appeared solid, living, determined, his ash-blonde hair and beard fluttering in the breeze. Behind him walked Ambrosius Baltus. Twenty-five years had elapsed between that day and this, and here he was seventeen. His hair was clipped short, and his face was smooth, revealing features that held less bitterness, less fury. Then from behind him, old Meg, now wrapped in smoky blue-gray robes, paced after them with her gnarled walking staff. Baltus breathed in deeply. This was why I had paid such close attention to the air. It sent his mind straight back to this time, and he was transfixed by the figures as they played out their conflicts. Jacobite, it is good to see you in the land of the living again. Let us get this over with, Marlow growled, entirely oblivious to this compliment, striding up the steps and straight through us. The present day Baltus leapt aside, but not before the spectral form had passed through part of his trembling arm, each particular hair standing on end, like the quills upon a fearful porcupine. Why does he not hear me? Baltus asked. A minuscule tinge of vulnerability in his words. These are but shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. I said in my best ghost voice. Baltus turned to watch Marlow as his younger self drew up to stand level with us. Jacobite was behind the sword, flexing his hand and glaring at it like a hated enemy. Baltus glanced to his left studying his former self. I look quite... Handsome. Naive. Why had you two come here on the winter solstice? Captain Marlow was angry at Duke Highweather. He had been talking about the sword for months. It was time to see whether he could draw it from the stone, even if no one else had been able to. Marlow grasped the hilt and pulled with all of his might the veins immediately standing out on his neck and temple. His eyes bulged and teeth rattled as he strained with mammoth effort. This display went on for some moments, until eventually he let go and slumped down. In the stillness, my slightly earlier self watched proceedings quietly, but the vision of a young Baltus piped up. I can think of none worthier than you, Captain Marlowe. Jacobite hissed through gritted teeth, locking furious eyes upon the lad. What do you know of worthiness? My father 
deemed you worthy when he entrusted my training to your care. Your father was a weakling, a sickened wastrel afflicted with paper-fragile bones. He never served a day in the military, and his respect of strength means no more to me than yours. Marlow spat these words, like venom. My father was not a strong man in body, or of mind, but his conviction was that I could succeed, or that I must. If I cannot raise above the rank of captain, and I cannot wield the Arkham Blade, how much do you think you can succeed, boy, truly? I glanced across at the adult Baltus, whose eyes had flared, and whose breathing had become fast and shallow through his nostrils. You did not leave here that day, did you? I stated plainly. He shook his head. The scene changed around us, and the people switched position rapidly. Marlow would not give up on the sword could not. He paced back and forth, pounding the ground, smashing at the blade with his hammer, burned it with his fire, tore at it in a frenzy, wrenching his muscles and falling back in agony. My past self fed the two Duart, bringing them bread and soup. Young Baltus crouched nervously at the foot of the steps, fetching whatever he was asked for. At one point I had sat beside him, and inquired as to what he kept glancing at the archway of the exit for. You're practically out the door there. What you wanting to rush home to, love? My sister, Fran. Young Baltus had replied. She's expecting her first child any day now. And there are always complications. Curse of our race, right? That's why the girls are so special. Did you have children? This, I recall, had caught me off guard. A long, long time ago. Yes. You're very worried about the sister, though. You too close? She was the only one who would comfort me when father was displeased. She died. I said, somberly, in ghost form. This was a terrible gamble. Fran might still be alive. But something about the way he had treated Freda in that cold office suggested otherwise. Dismissal and defensiveness masking a pain that was unimaginable. I looked into the eyes of the adult Baltus, and he nodded. And was there ever a woman in your life? I am married. This knocked me for six, and I could not allow it to register on my face. Married? How? Absolutely nothing about the rest of his life had betrayed this fact. It was only now that I saw, without looking at it directly, the ring he wore under his gauntlet. How in your life is she? I asked, so smoothly and meditatively that it appeared the question had always been in my head. I tensed inside, suddenly feeling my energy flag. The world around us flickered ever so slightly. Baltus frowned. She lives in East Finchley. Her name is Emmeline. It was right and good that a captain of the guard be married. I had something here. But you do not share children. No. I did not press him any further. His reasons were obvious. It would do no good to torture him. For the first time since I began this endeavor, designed to benefit many others, Far exceeding this lost soul at my side, I actually felt a sharp pang of pity for Ambrosius. 
Time proceeded by at speed from this point, until the third day when Marlowe, who had not slept a wink, stood in nothing but his boots and breeches, his hair a tangled bird's nest, his body covered in bruises from flinging himself at this immovable object. He bellowed at Baltus. You pull it out then! You! Now! You pull this cursed blade! The past Baltus got wearily to his feet and approached the stone. Marlowe stepped back, but not enough to give him comfortable space. It seemed as though, somehow, if Baltus did miraculously manage to pull the sword out, it would be snatched from his grasp nonetheless. The adult Baltus watched, his eyes now heavy-lidded, knowing exactly what was coming. The hilt was reached for, held, pulled, pulled again, and finally abandoned. You barely tried, snarled Marlowe. After all I have given these past days, these past years, and you cannot muster the pull of a man. I am sorry, my captain, said the young Baltus, his head low. Out of the corner of my eye, I had seen the elder version mouth the same words to himself. Then came the truly insidious moment, one which made my blood run cold. Far from stomping off like an angry child, Marlowe reached out and embraced the boy, roughly pulling him in to grip fast, like the coils of a Burmese python. Your apology is accepted, Marlowe muttered. We shall return to Londinium and show those dukes that I can be the best captain that has ever served the House of Skygrail. They will have no choice but to promote me when all others are put to shame. And you, my boy, you shall assist me. That would make your father proud, would it not? Yes, sir. And it would make me proud. Yes, sir. Marlowe released him and called for his armor. As the lad scurried down the steps to fetch the mail shirt and breastplate, he stopped before younger old Meg and said, now bright and seemingly strong. I hope my sister has a boy. It will be good to be a role model for a brave young warrior. I will teach him to fight dragons and ascend to the heights where our family belongs. My younger self stroked her chin and studied him before saying simply, Heroes are tricky things. You would do well to examine them from every angle. At this, the elder Baltus turned to me, his face a knot of tension. Spirit, remove me from this place. I told you, these are shadows of things that have been. That they are what they are, do not blame me. Remove me, I cannot bear it. This had all played out mostly as I had hoped. My influence over his thoughts had guided him along the movements of a Christmas carol, often line for line, finding the anchors where I could. But seeing the hurt in this Duarte's eyes, I began to have an inkling of a doubt. This was an ethical swamp I had gotten myself into, and my choices were to abandon ship, failing to keep the promise of the other two ghosts, and hope that this one did its work, or press on and let this sordid play reach its uncertain conclusion. I elected for the latter, as I intensified my brightness and pulled him back into his darkened bedroom to slump down on the floor, 
his eyesight momentarily awry, as I quietly left the room to retreat once again to the nag in the scullery and the welcome respite of a pork pie. Do nothing in his past look like you hold? The horse asked, his mouth now full. In a way, but perhaps not entirely like I hoped. He seems genuinely sad right now. I don't just want to shove him out of one kind of depression and into another. He'd hurt fewer people that way. Hmm. True. But it's so cruel. I have to inspire him. That's the point of Christmas present. Speaking of which, what have you got me? It's on the cart. You can have it on Christmas morning. It is Christmas morning. Too early. We're two adults. We can open our presents whenever we bloody well want. I think we're a little way beyond being considered adults, my friend. Anyway, hush! I need to focus on the image of an exceedingly old and dear companion for my version of the second ghost. Oh, I think I know who you're going to do. What part of hush do you not understand? Now let me work my magic, and we'll see where this one goes. That was stave two of The Christmas Thieves. The cast for this episode, Ambrosius Baltus and The Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb. The Ghost of Christmas Past, performed by Maureen Foley. Merlain and Jacobite Marlowe, performed by Alexander Shaw. Music by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Overture, specially composed for the Christmas Thieves by Gil Haim Steinberg. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Many thanks to our top-tier Patreon sponsors for the month of this re-release. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skeels Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns.